Father, we pray for wisdom today. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we pray for the fear of the Lord today. Hearts that revere you, hearts that respect you deeply. And with that, teach us to number our days aright that we will gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us that life is short, that our days are short, but eternity is long, and these short days are to be lived in light of eternity. Give us wisdom today, God, so that we will live with our eyes fixed upon the things that truly matter for all of eternity. Satisfy us this day with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. God, joy in this life for this journey only comes from you when we taste and feast at your table. So satisfy us today as we open wide our mouths. Would you fill it with your word your bread from heaven to nourish our souls, that we will rejoice and be glad for all the days of our lives, no matter the circumstances. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us in your sovereignty. We know we go through seasons of suffering and delay and disappointments and loss. But as many days as we have experienced your sovereign suffering, make us glad to be found in you. Restore to us the joy of your salvation today. Restore the years, the decades that the locusts have eaten. So establish deep joy in the hearts of your people today. So Father, fill me now with your spirit and strength. Anoint me and empower me. Father, would you use your son now to simply be an instrument of your voice and your heart that will bring your son Jesus glory. Let me simply be an arrow that points people back to you. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it is in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You know, many people would like power, but few of us would really know what to do with it if we really had power. Can you imagine if you had the power right now to go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Actually, we do have that kind of power right now. Uh, it's called Google Earth. If you've ever tried it, uh, you know that it can give you the power or the ability to go anywhere in the world right now. But do you know the first place almost everyone goes to on their first try of Google Earth? So we can go anywhere in the whole planet right now, and most choose our own home. So hmm, I could go anywhere in the whole world right now and let me go home where I am right now. So we type in our address, and we're like, 
wow, that's my home in 3D. And so we zoom in, we look around when we can just walk outside our door and see it for reality. You know? you know, a lot of us have access to power, but we don't know how to use it very well. Others of us, we don't even know we have access to power. But as disciples of Jesus, we are part of a kingdom, and that kingdom is one not just of words, but a kingdom of power, as Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 4. And for those of us who do not even know that we have access to this kind of power as kingdom citizens, we need to learn this today. But for those of us who may know, we need to know how to use our power wisely and well for the glory of God. So what does this kind of power look like in the kingdom of God? That's what we want to explore today as we conclude our series and our study through the book of James. So turn with me to James chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 12 and following till the end of the chapter and book. And we want to look at the power that is marked by kingdom citizens of his kingdom power. Follow along in your outlines also. And so what kind of power is connected to God's kingdom here on earth? And there's a few things that I want to highlight for us today. The first thing that we need to understand about this kingdom of power is that, number one, there is power in our words. So everyone repeat, there is power in our words. All right, so James chapter 5, verse 12. says, but above all... My brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So James is reminding them that integrity is a key component of Christian discipleship. So let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Let your words be a positive witness of your integrity as disciples of Jesus. So it says, don't swear. All right, so now the swearing here is not about using bad words, although we shouldn't do that either, but it's about having to take vows or oaths to make people believe you. You know, as kids, we often hear, uh, we would hear our friends say, I swear to God, or I swear on this person's grave, you know, because nobody believes them. And so they have to use that vocabulary to try to convince people that they are believable. You know, I had a classmate in elementary school who would lie a lot. And so he would have to often say, I'm serious. I'm serious. You got to believe me. I got a car for my birthday. And we'd be like, come on, you're only 10 years old. Your parents would not give you a car. But he said, I swear, I'm serious. And he would always have to say that because he would always have to convince people that what he said was really true. Now, you would use this when people do not believe your words, but it's not about vocabulary as much as it's about integrity. He's saying be such a person of integrity that you, if you say you're going to do it, do it, and people will know that you're going to do it. So mean what you say, and when you say it, mean it. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. So you don't need to prove to people your promises because your life and your reputation is already all the proof that they need. So your word already holds the power of a promise kept that is powerful 
And that is a testimony of a life of true character. Amen? So, what James has been stressing uh, throughout this, his letter is the power that our words can have. And he has warned us previously about the greater judgment for being teachers or being in places of influence and how hard it is to tame the tongue. So we looked at this in previous chapters. Uh, and so scripture stresses over and over again, be careful with your words because there is great power in your words. So our words have the power to encourage or to infuse courage in someone. That's the power of our words. We can infuse new life, strength, and courage in someone. That's what encourage truly means. And we have the power through our words to discourage or to disconnect or to suck courage out of somebody's life through the power of our words. And so with that power, on a very practical level, we are giving you the opportunity today after the service, again, to write these uh, prayer or encouragement cards to our missionaries around the world so that we can use our words as God intended, and that is to be a source of blessing and strength to missionaries who are serving uh, the kingdom in various places around the world. But then James is saying this, but above all else, we need to be careful with our words for our own sake because words have the power to shape character within us and within others. You know, my wife was telling me about a situation that happened between uh, Enoch and some kids just a couple of weeks back right before the cold weather hit Seoul. And so uh, she took Enoch to the park, a local park near her home, and Enoch had a balloon. And they went to the park to play, and there was, I think, another kindergarten that just took a break, and there were also a lot of kids in the same park playing as well. And so there were two older boys, older than Enoch, who eyed his balloon, and they started like uh, vultures circling him, and they wanted to take his balloon. And uh, if you just left them alone, then those two boys would become bullies to Enoch, take his balloon, he'd be crying, and somebody's going to be in trouble, okay? But my wife saw what was about to happen, and so she started speaking to these two older boys, saying, wow, you guys are so big and strong and so nice. You look like great older brothers, someone who cares for younger kids, like Enoch over here. You're bigger and stronger than he is, so you're probably going to be a good big brother to him, right? And suddenly those two boys who were eyeing the balloon and trying to find ways to take it, suddenly those two boys changed from being bullies to Enoch's bodyguards. <laughs> I kid you not. They had their chest out, and suddenly they were keeping all the other kindergarten kids away from him. Right? They're coming, no, you can't come here, you can't come here. And suddenly they became his bodyguards. And so while Enoch doesn't know what's going on, he's just playing with the balloon, and he's playing around, walking around, and these two kids became his personal bodyguards fascinating to see the huge change in their character within a few seconds because of the power of words spoken to these children. The words were used to instill a different vision for their life. It changed their selfish character as bullies wanting to steal a balloon from a two-year-old boy into courageous defenders of the weak within seconds. That is the power of words. We are to use our words to speak forth vision and life into other people's lives. Amen. 
Can you imagine, as I was reflecting upon this situation that happened with Enoch, can you imagine the transformation that could occur if we told the truth to boys from a young age? That strength is given to defend and protect the weak, not to abuse them. How different the world would be. How different the schools in this country would be. How different the schools around the world would be. The escalating bullying problem that's happening in great measure even in this country leading to suicides of students. Why is it happening? Because the truth of what strength was meant to be used for was never spoken into their lives. We are meant to speak forth truth and life through the power of our words. Amen? So instead of villains, there would be more men and women of valor, of courage, of strength, defenders of the weak that are raised up in this next generation. Words can influence and shape character in us and in others. So there's power in our words. And as kingdom citizens, we need to be aware of this power so that we use this power correctly. But also, there's more. There is power in our prayers. So everyone repeat, there is power in our prayers. So, not, so it is clear that there is power in our words, and one of the most powerful ways to use our words is to pray. James 5, 13 and following, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So he's saying, are you suffering? Pray. Are you happy? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. Meaning all of life for the believer is learning to breathe in the oxygen of prayer. Because for the life of the disciple, how we breathe and live is through prayer. Communicating, hearing from, and depending upon God. That in our suffering, we gain strength by lifting up our heart's concerns to God in prayer, and as we do that, gaining His strength and His power. That in our joy, our hearts are happiest when it sings forth the praises of Him from whom all blessings flow. Then he says in verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now before you begin to think, oh, so does that mean like if I'm sick at home, then uh, I'm only supposed to call uh, the elders or the pastors because they're the, they're the ones who are really spiritual and their prayers are really powerful. Not, not all of you guys. Is that what he's saying? No. One of the things that you need to understand is that the elders would be shepherds or pastors of the community. That's correct. But they are the ones who would come to pray representing the prayers of the community at large. 
Because what we will see throughout this chapter is that God is calling all of the people of God, all of the community of God to be a people of prayer. And so when it says, therefore call the elders, he's saying, so call your shepherds to come visit you if you cannot go to the community and let them bring the prayers of the people representative to be the blessing of prayer of healing into your life. And this anointing of oil, uh, there's a lot of different uh, views on this. Some say it could be a type of medicine that was used back then. But because this is the only reference to healing and oil in all of Paul's letters, all of the epistles, uh, except although there's one mention of this type of combination in the Gospel of Mark, uh, most likely it is speaking of a physical act of actually putting oil on someone, but symbolizing God's consecration and care for this sick person. All right, so that's uh, <clears throat> what he's directing it towards here. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So intercessory prayer is one of the ways that God heals. There's a common grace that God gives to people through the healing power of medicine, but also there is a divine healing that he bestows through intercessory prayer. So it is a biblical thing to ask for prayers for healing. So then you might be wondering, okay, so it says, then the prayer of faith uh, will save the one who is sick. So it doesn't say, just have enough faith and everybody will be better. Uh, is it saying that if they did not get better from their illness, then we didn't have enough faith? Uh, we need to clarify that right away, and the answer is no. That's not what he's saying. Uh, because one clear example of this would be Paul. Right, so God said no to Paul in his prayer for healing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and following, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. God answered no. Now, so how do we reconcile we're supposed to pray with faith and God's answer? How do we reconcile this if we don't get the answer we wanted? How do we reconcile this? Why should we keep praying if God's going to do what he's going to do? All right, so let me help you. Uh, let me give you a helpful grid, a faith grid to process through your prayers and the ways that God answers. There are four ways that God may answer your prayers, and I want to guide you through these four ways. Uh, the first way, sometimes, number one, God will answer your prayer with a go or a yes. So everyone say go. All right, so God, you pray and God answers with a yes. Say, go. Go for it. Do it. Right? So that's an easy one. That when we pray and he answers, we got no problem. We don't have any problems with that one, right? Uh, so we'll go by that one fairly quickly. So sometimes God will say, go. But number two, sometimes God will say, no. So everyone repeat, no. All right, but we need to qualify this. Okay, like Paul, as he prayed for deliverance from this thorn in his side, 
uh, God said, no, my grace is sufficient. But we need to know this, that whenever God says no, it is because he has something better that he wants to give to you. And it takes faith to believe this. You see, it's hard for me to say no to Enoch, my son. Why? Because I know that he does not fully understand the wisdom in my decision to say no to him. He may cry, pout, scream, get mad at me. He will say in his own way, let me play with my dirty diaper, and I'll have to say no. Let me play with that thing that's brown in there, and I'd be like, no. Trust me, you don't want to play with this. But he doesn't understand that. You see, for every no, there is a greater gift that I want to give to him instead. And how much more with God? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does our Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? Amen? You see, the only reason why God will ever say no to you is because he has something better in store for you. It may be hard to understand at first because it may be a cross we are called to carry It may be a time to deny ourselves and depend on God. It may be a time to learn to trust in Him and to treasure Him. But through it all, know that with every no, there is love and wisdom behind that answer. The only reason God will ever say no to His children is because He has something better in store. Believe it. Amen? It takes faith to believe that. So, how does God respond to prayer? Sometimes he will say, go. Go for it. Yes. Sometimes he will say, no. I have something better for you, and you need to trust me with this. But third option, other times, God will say, slow. So everyone repeat, slow, meaning not yet, wait. You see, sometimes God waits for the right conditions to change before he answers our prayers. And sometimes he will wait for hearts to change. Sometimes he is waiting for people to change, and sometimes he is waiting for our own hearts to change. And sometimes God waits for the right number of prayers to be prayed before releasing his answers to our prayers. That's what we learn in Revelation, that symbolically Revelation speaks of how God collects the prayers of his saints in golden bowls. And when the time is right, when the right number of prayers have been collected, then those prayers and the answers will be released upon this earth. And also we see this dynamic when Daniel is praying and suddenly he is, there is a delay that Scripture speaks of to his answers of prayer because there has been spiritual warfare, that there was great warfare happening because of what needed to be answered in the place of prayer. And other times we see in Scripture as well when Jacob was wrestling with God. God was waiting for Jacob to change before God could answer his prayer. And so God may be saying to some of us here today, I have heard your prayers, 
But wait, because certain things must change before the full blessing of the answer to that prayer can be appreciated. So, if God has not changed your heart concerning this matter, if you know that it is his will for this to happen, because all things will ultimately be in accordance to his will in terms of answer to prayers, then he may be saying, pray and persevere. Learn to discern no's from not yet's. But know this, God has ordained prayer to be the means through which he accomplishes his purposes here on earth. Things happen that would not have happened if we did not pray. Prayer is the means through which God accomplishes his will here on earth. Prayer is worthwhile. It is our oxygen. So much so that a day with prayer will always be greater than a lifetime without prayer. And so God will answer with go. Go for it. Yes. God may answer no. That's not my will. There's something better I want for you. Or God may say slow. Not now. Wait. But in all times, there's a fourth answer that God will always say. And that is grow. Everyone repeat, grow. He's saying grow in your faith capacity to trust him as you pray and as you wait for his answers to our prayers. That is a powerful lesson in the school of prayer, to frame your prayers with faith as you wait. But you see, what makes prayer powerful is not the person praying, but the person to whom we are praying to. Prayer is not powerful because we pray, or even powerful because we pray in faith. Prayer is powerful because prayer connects us to God. And no prayer is a waste when it is lifted up in honesty, with humility, and with faith, and with our hearts. You see, much time in prayer means much time with God, and much time with God means entering heaven's counsel, encountering his glory, and receiving his power. That is the blessing that always comes when the heart has humbled itself to enter the throne of grace. It is never a waste to enter the presence of God. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So healing comes through confession and it comes through prayer. And as we confess our sins to those who have sinned against us and those to whom we have sinned against and make peace with each other, Okay, that's the context here. It's not say just confess your sins to your random people in the church. Right, we need wisdom with that. So when you are sinned against, confess your sin in that way. As you make peace with each other, it not only heals the individual and the relationship, it brings healing for the community of faith and to the church as well. And verse 16 also says, and the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So does this mean I have to be holy and righteous and good and then God will answer my prayers? Or does this mean that only holy missionaries and leaders and prayer warriors have powerful prayers? No. How does one become righteous? By grace through faith in Christ. 
Our righteousness is not created on our own or by what we do. Our righteousness is given to us as a gift as we trust in the work of Christ. So the prayer of the one who is righteous ultimately is the one who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that person has great power because Christ intercedes for us and with us. Amen? And the example that they give is verse, uh, in verse 17 is Elijah. Look at verse 17 and following. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. Now, it's interesting that they pick Elijah as the example for answered prayer. Because if you remember, Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal, he prayed for drought, it happened, and then he prayed for rain. But how did that prayer get answered? Let me refresh your memories. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41 and following. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went, went up to the, town, to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees, and so he is praying for rain. Verse 43. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And when he went up and looked and said, uh, and he said to his servant, Go up, look. And his servant went up, looked, and said to him, There is nothing. And he said, Go again. Seven times. And there's nothing. Go. I prayed. Nothing. Can you go again? Check. I prayed. Nothing. Can you go again? Check. Nothing. I prayed. Check. Nothing. I prayed. Nothing. I prayed. Nothing. I prayed. Nothing. Do you ever feel like that in your prayer life? And then verse 44, and at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. You might look at that and say, it's such a small answer to my prayer. Why do you have to warn this person about the coming rain? Verse 45, and in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain. He prayed. He persisted in prayer seven times, the perfect number of completion in Scripture. After a period of waiting, his prayers were answered. And we learned last week that waiting time is never wasting time when you are waiting upon the Lord in faith. We pray, persist, persevere, trust, wrestle, fight against doubt, fight against the flesh, fight to believe that God is good, that he hears, that you believe in his will, and he will answer. You fight during the time of waiting and delay. That too is prayer. And disciples of Christ 
need to learn how to fight in prayer against disbelief. We need to learn how to fight against giving up in our prayers. Amen? Because disciples of Christ are committed to prayer because prayer is the means through which God chooses to accomplish his purposes here on earth. That is why Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is showing us there is a direct correlation between our faith and prayers in God in establishing his will here on earth through the prayers of his people. That is why disciples are committed to prayer. That is the chosen means through which God has decided to release his will and his kingdom here on earth. It is through the prayers of his people. And that is why Paul teaches us to pray always. And that is why Jesus teaches us to pray and persevere and to not lose hearts. Amen. It is because our prayers connect us to God, they connect us to his heart, they bring us into his presence, and they align our hearts with his will. That is what we need to fight for. It is not about trying to twist God's arm, do what I want, God. It is about learning to surrender your heart to God so that you will pray in accordance to his will so that his kingdom will come. His will will be done through your praying. So the fight of faith is also a search for His will. Because when we pray in accordance to His will, it will be done. That is how we can pray in confidence. So the people of God pray because there is power in the one to whom we pray. Prayers can do anything God can do for the one who prays according to his will. So our words have power. Our prayers have power. Our words directed to God has power. And another way that our words hold power is to know this, that there is power in our gospel. So everyone repeat. There is power in our gospel. So lifting up prayers, declaring the gospel, are two of the most powerful uses of words that you could ever be a part of in this lifetime. Using the power of words to speak to God and using the power of words to speak forth the gospel in this world. Two of the greatest uses of words ever. James 5, 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. So he says when someone has wandered away from the truth they are, that they are not living a life that honors God, and whoever brings that sinner back from his wandering, sins will be forgiven, souls will be saved. But how do we bring back sinners? 
through declaring the gospel of Jesus and the gospel of repentance. To turn from sin, to trust in Christ, and lives will be saved. So there's power in our gospel to change souls headed to hell and to transform them into saints headed to heaven. Therefore, as Romans 1.16 declares, we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We are not ashamed to declare with our words the message of the gospel because that message contains the power of God. Amen? So we are never ashamed of it because the gospel alone can save people for all of eternity. So we use the power of our words that form the gospel message and declare it boldly to all people and all the nations of the earth, never being ashamed of the gospel, never being ashamed of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but rather lifting up his name on high and declaring with your life that he is worthy that there is no name greater than the name of Jesus. That we tell the world, behold the Lamb of God. Look and behold, look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, Son of God, no name greater. Nothing sweeter to ever come out of our lips. Jesus, Son of God. Privilege, honor, glory, worth, majesty. Jesus, Son of God. Pastor Choi is a pastor of Love Neighbors Missions, and he's one of our partners who reaches out to the red light districts of Korea on a regular basis. He shared at our Hope He Restored uh, ministry a couple months back uh, about his early days when he started his outreach to the red light districts because this is about maybe five plus years ago or something like that and um, God just placed it on upon his heart. Reach out to these women in the red light districts and again, as you and I all know that it's rare for any church to be engaged in this kind of outreach and so he was really pioneering and, and he just came out of seminary and God placed this during his prayer time in seminary to get ready to reach out to these women in these areas and he didn't know what to do so he's just praying, praying, seeking the Lord and God told him, all right, so you know, make this care package, the small gift of, you know, of a snack, of a drink and a Bible verse and so he got a box full of all these care packages ready and so that's all he would do, just go out, you know, pray, worship and give out these small care packages to these women. And, you know, when he would do this, you know, these pimps would mock him, make fun of him, swear at him, say, what are you doing, you dork, and all stuff, just hurl all these insults at him. So uh, that's fine. He would just ignore it and he would just give uh, a blessing to these women and say, hey, this Jesus loves you. You know, God bless you. I hope that you will know, come to know the love of God. And so he just gives these gifts. It's all fine. And then one day, uh, a pimp started you know, mocking him verbally, but then started walking towards him, saying, hey, hey, buddy, you come around here a lot now. Can I have one of those packages? Can you give it to me, please? Right? So he's just making fun of him, and he's getting nervous, you know, because pimp, you know, dangerous, all this stuff like that. And so he was inside, he didn't know what to do. And so he was, does he walk away? Does he run away? You know, does he, uh, does he just say, no, you can't have a packet? You know, he's like trying to... 
envision, trying to picture, what does he say, right? Does he act tough? But he knew one thing that he shouldn't do. He's like, he should not run away because he knew if he ran away that time, he would never be able to go again. So this is what he did. Uh, as he sees from the corner of his eye, this guy mocking, can I have a commandment? And it's coming. He look, turns, looks straight at him in the eye, walks towards him and with a smile. Yes, you can have one too. And he gives him a big hug. <laughs> and as he's hugging him, he prays for him. Lord, bless this man. May he come to know the love of Jesus and your love for him. And then he lets him go. And his heart's like, and the pimp smiled and bowed to him. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Holding that gift in his hand, bowing to him, saying, no one ever prayed for me before. And he walked away. And from that day forward, he never had problems with the pimps. In fact, He's been going every Wednesday and Saturday for the past five plus years. Rain, shine, snow, sleet, ice, even to the point where it's, the weather is so bad that even the pimp and the girls would be like, you didn't have to come today, the weather is so bad. But he faithfully went. And that faithfulness and steadfastness won over the hearts of the pimps and the women in those areas. That they respect him purely out of that. And so... Uh, you know, earlier in the summer, uh, I had the opportunity to visit his office. And while I was there, uh, you know, he had some of the care packages that he still gives away on a desk that was being prepared. And I was very curious uh, because he said that, he shared with me before just on a personal conversation, he said, you know, the verse that I uh, attach onto these small care packages, uh, there are some women who tell him that they save just that piece of paper because that's the most valuable thing for them, and they just read it and, and meditate on that verse over and over again. And so I was always curious as to which verse he picked. You know, I was like, was it John 3.16 or for God so loved it? You know, what verse encapsulates the gospel in just that one verse, you know, where it would minister them so much? And so, you know, I, I picked up one, and you know what? It wasn't John 3.16, it was John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. And that blew me away. And I was like, of course, that is the gospel to these women. To these women who have only known condemnation from the time that they were little, abused verbally, sexually, physically. These people who have only known condemnation, walking the streets by the pimps, from parents to pimps, and even as they go to churches and across churches and they come across Christians, they have only no condemnation. And I realize that is good news. That there is a God in heaven who came to this earth to die for their sins, to forgive them, yes, but also to take his wrath away so that there will be no more condemnation. That is gospel. That is good news. So as a result, uh, some of these ladies have actually come to faith in Christ. 
through the relationship building that this pastor has had with them, through him when, they earned, when he earned the respect of the pimps and all these women and he was able to have more conversations in longer periods of time, sharing the gospel to some of them and some of them giving their lives to Christ. Some of them come to faith, but many of them also when they come to faith, they want to go to church. But you know when I went to the office and he showed me the area uh, that, that he reaches out to, I saw so many churches in the midst of this red light. And so I asked, do these churches have an outreach? Do they have a special something for these ladies, especially for the, the ones who want to go to church? He says, no. In fact, he says, these churches have kicked out these women when they go. So when I heard that, he and I, we've been praying for funding so we can start up a church in the middle of this red light district for these women who want to worship. For these women who still face condemnation when they go to the church in their neighborhood. When they hear from these women in these churches. You're not welcome here. We don't want your kind here. You stay out of church because I don't want people like you interacting with people like my husband. Pastor, you keep these women out of here. Otherwise, I'm taking my tithe out of this place. And so I'm praying for a church who will truly be the church of Jesus to them. You see, that is the fruits of the kingdom that we are a part of. A kingdom that has the power to change a life. The power of a kingdom that through prayer that connects us to our Father in heaven, to release his power of love within our hearts, to love the least of these, and then to declare the power of the gospel into our communities so that those who have only known condemnation, hatred, and abuse would come under the power of his love and to be transformed to become children of God. That is the power of the kingdom that we are a part of. And that is the power that we all have access to. That is our kingdom. That uses the power of our words to pray his kingdom come, to pray his will be done in Korea as it is in heaven, to declare to this city, Jesus saves and Jesus loves you. That is the kingdom you are a part of, a kingdom that you are citizens of, the kingdom where Christ is exalted, where Christ is king, and where sinners are welcome. Because those are the ones whom Jesus came for. He did not come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He did not come to call the righteous, but sinners into repentance to enter his kingdom. That's the kingdom 
we are a part of. Amen? Let's pray. Can we pray right now and ask the Lord to purify the words of our mouths, the meditation of our hearts, that it would be pleasing in his sight in all that we do, in all that we say? Can we pray right now that God would purify and refine the desires of our hearts so that we would not see prayer as a genie in the bottle. We would not see God in heaven as Santa Claus that must do our bidding and answer all of our wish lists. Can we pray for hearts that are so in love with Jesus that the words of our lips would always be a reflection of Jesus? Can we pray for that together? And if you don't know what to pray for, if you don't know what to say, that's fine. Why don't you sing the sweet name of Jesus right now? Why don't you worship him? Why don't you love him? Why don't you adore him through your prayers right now? Can we do that together? Let's pray.